If you have a Bible, I invite you to take your Bible, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, where we'll be focused uh, this morning. One of the, uh, I think one of the great advantages that we have as Christians is that we know the future. God has chosen to reveal to us what's going to happen in the future. Tremendous advantage to be able to know what's coming in the future. And um, when we think about this, um, most people agree that at least a quarter of the scriptures, when they were written originally, were prophetic or they were looking to the future. And some scholars say even up to a third of the scriptures uh, were prophetic uh, when they were written. And so Peter, in a uh, uh, little letter of Second uh, Peter, his last letter, uh, says, you know, we really need to be sure about four things. Peter's writing his last letter. He knows he's going to die soon. And he's writing to the churches, the people he loves. And he says, you know what? Here's, don't ever forget this. Be sure of your salvation. Be sure of your salvation. Then he says, and be sure of your foundation in the scriptures. Be sure you understand that the Bible is God's word, that it's a living book, and that God will speak to us through it, through his word. You know, and then be sure of who your enemies are. Uh, it's not a neutral world that we live in, and there's a lot of false messages, and they come from false teachers. And so uh, Peter says, listen, be sure you're aware of who your enemies are. Love your enemies, but don't compromise with them, right? Don't compromise the truth. And then this morning, we come to the last of these four uh, subjects that Peter's concerned about, and he says, be sure of your future, be sure of your future. Be sure you know what's going to happen in the future. And I think uh, Satan is well aware of uh, what an advantage it is if we know the future. And so he does everything he can to distract us from really understanding what God has chosen to reveal to us in his word about what's going to happen in the future. Uh, it's easy to get so wrapped up in the present and so... Uh, you know, maybe even caught up in the past with uh, guilt and shame and things that have happened that we forget about the future. And so today, in Second Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter again reminds us of why he's writing, right? And he says in the first couple of verses, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind. Peter's like, what I'm really trying to do here is to stimulate your thinking. Right? I'm stirring up your mind, your sincere mind, uh, by way of reminder. We need reminders, right? Uh, we come together on Sundays, you know, together with each other, to be reminded of the things that mean the most to us. And we need each other in that process. And we need to be together. And we need to allow God to stimulate our minds that you should remember, right, what? That you should remember predictions, prophecy, that you should remember what God has told us is going to happen in the future. Uh, predictions of three groups of people, the holy prophets, the Old Testament prophets, okay, and uh, the commandments of our Lord, who spoke about the future in many ways, many times, and the apostles, who spoke to us about things that are going to happen in the future, especially the apostle Paul. Okay, so Here's Peter saying, this is why I'm, I'm writing to you. I'm trying to stir up your mind so that you remember uh, the predictions, the prophecies, about the, especially about the coming of Jesus. 
In uh, Revelation chapter 19 and uh, verse, um, where is it now? Chapter 19 and verse uh, 10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The teaching of Jesus lends itself to exposing what's going to come in the future. Right? It says that the testimony of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, is in the spirit of prophecy, of future, of what's going to happen. Now, of course, Jesus was all about the gospel, but the consummation of the gospel happens when Jesus returns and, uh, and finishes what he started uh, the first time that he was here. And so the bottom line is that Jesus is coming back. It's the hope of every believer. Uh, Laura read for us from Titus, and in Titus it says, this is the believer's blessed hope. Uh, the word blessed, I usually translate it as happy. You know, it's, uh, this is our hope. This is, you know, I think one of the worst things that can happen to somebody is to be in the world and be hopeless. And one of the privileges of being a Christian and knowing what's coming and that Jesus is coming back is that we can live with a sense of hope about no matter what happens to us, we have this hope that uh, in the future, the Lord is going to come back, and there are a number of things associated with the Lord's return. Uh, The fact that Jesus is coming back means a number of different things. It means, first of all, that Jesus is alive. It's an affirmation of the resurrection, that there is life beyond this life. And uh, Jesus has promised that if he's alive, then, you know, um, we're going to be, those of us who trust in him, we will be raised even as he was raised. Uh, In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, that all of Christianity collapses if Christ didn't rise from the dead. Paul says, your faith is in vain. If Christ is not raised from the dead, if this life is all there is, you know, we're the most pathetic people, right? Because why? Because Christ is coming back, Christ is alive, and uh, all of Christianity hinges on that reality. It means that there's a future, that this life is not all there is, and uh, it means that uh, someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, as is promised in the scriptures. And so um, this world is not all there is. Uh, It also means Jesus coming back for the second time means um, that the promises of God you know, are all going to be realized. Now, there's thousands of promises that God made. I don't know about you, but sometimes I say to myself, well, you know, these are promises that God has made, and then I put them alongside my life, and they don't always add up. And I have to remind myself, well, it's not over yet. You know, I love this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, verse 20, it says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. When Jesus comes back, all of those promises will be realized. And that's our blessed hope. That's what keeps us going. That's, you know, our anchor out into the future, as the author of Hebrews says. And I think about this, right? Uh, When Jesus comes back, those who have died are going to be resurrected. I've uh, done many, many graveside services, and sometimes I stand in the cemetery and I think, wow, on the day that Jesus comes back, I wonder how many people in this cemetery will be coming out of their graves. And if you read at the end of Matthew, it already happened once. It's a pretty interesting passage of scripture. Uh, Not everybody's familiar with it, but 
You know, when Jesus comes back, uh, those with broken bodies will be made whole. When Jesus comes back, the Bible says all tears will be wiped away. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be peace that will prevail internationally and across the globe. Uh, When Jesus comes back, um, good will be vindicated and evil will be punished. And wickedness will be punished. When Jesus comes back, um, righteousness will rule the day and prevail. Knowing what's coming can have a tremendous impact on how we live our lives today in terms of being filled with hope and confidence as we go forward, uh, knowing what's going to happen in the future. It's huge, I think. Every time we pray, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done down here on earth like it is up in heaven, we're asking Jesus to come and to establish that new heavens and new earth where Jesus rules. I think he's talking about the millennium, the thousand-year period that John talks about in the book of Revelation. And so I think you can see why Satan would want us to ignore these promises and these predictions, these prophecies, and preoccupy us with other kinds of things. And so Peter, in the next verse, says this, okay? He says, now, um, you know, I'm writing to remind you, stir up your minds, but here's something you need to know. Know this first of all. Here's what you need to know, okay, about the future. Scoffers will come in the last days. Scoffers are going to come. There's going to be people who... Uh, you know, a scoffer is somebody who takes lightly what's serious. Somebody who disregards what's honorable. And there's nothing more serious or honorable than God's word. And scoffers are people who kind of mock God's word. Uh, a scoffer is a person who um, uh, ridicules what's true. And I, again, I would say there's nothing more serious than... God's word. And uh, people will make light of it. They'll make fun of it. They'll uh, ridicule the idea that Jesus is going to come back and establish a whole new world order that all of us Christians are waiting for and hoping for and praying for and working toward and so forth and plan to be a part of. And, uh, you know, scoffers aren't limited to Peter's day, right? If you ever sit down with somebody at work or something and try to explain to them, hey, you know, Jesus is coming back, right? See how far you get. Right? Maybe sit down with a neighbor and say, have you ever thought that, you know, this Jesus who was here, he's promised to come back, and when he does, he's going to change the whole world order? Nothing's going to be the same as it was. And so Peter says, look, know this. These kind of people are going to be uh, around uh, as we get closer and closer uh, to that day. And uh, here's their argument in verse 4. Here's what they're going to say. They will say, you know, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're going to take their own limited 70, 80-year-old perspective and say, well, Jesus didn't come in my lifetime and normalize that over all of time and say there's no way that he's going to come. God doesn't intervene you know, in the lives of his creation or in the lives of his people. And, uh, you know, I don't believe it is what they're going to say. And they're just going to make fun of it and so forth. And um, especially if you start talking about the judgments that come with the return of Christ. Jesus is coming back 
And by the way, here's what's going to happen when he comes back. Do you know what he said is going to be like and, and so on? And so um, people make fun of that. And so Peter says, you know, he responds to that kind of thinking, uh, kind of a naturalist uh, kind of thinking. And he says in verses um, 5 and 6, he says, for they deliberately overlook this fact. Now, remember we talked about a heresy, and a heresy is always a choice. And so these people, Peter says, are deliberately making a choice. This isn't something, well, I fell into it and, you know, uh, and, and I just kind of adopted it or my parents were like, no. This is a, a deliberate choice, for they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. God does intervene in things. And Peter's saying two things you're overlooking here. Number one, God by his word created the universe and created the world in which we live uh, long before you scoffers were even born. Uh, The heavens and the universe existed. And they were created by God's word. God merely spoke and the universe sprang into existence. In um, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, um, here's what we read in the third verse. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. God spoke and his word is so powerful that those things came into being. Um, He made things out of nothing. And so the earth was formed, um, verse 5 says, the earth was formed out of water, through water. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you'll read that, uh, you know, water's covered everything. And God like separated the waters and created the earth in the middle. If you read in Genesis chapter 1, uh, God had like upper level water and uh, the waters were gathered into the clouds and into rain and into mists and stuff like that. And then the other part, God gathered the water, uh, the lower gathering of water was in oceans and rivers and springs and lakes and, and stuff like that. And you can read it in Genesis chapter 1. God separated the water into two different realms and the earth was formed between these two watery uh, realities And uh, the upper water uh, and the lower water um, became realities. That's part of the creation process. It was a radical uh, step by God. But then God, uh, Peter says, uh, intervened again uh, in Genesis chapter 6 with the flood. And God took the water that he separated and it's like he built the means of the world's destruction into the creation. And again, if you go back to Genesis, you read that the water, right, came up from the, came up from the ground, just like the earth split open and water came up. And uh, again, you can read it, and then, uh, and then it started to rain, and it rained for 40 days and, and 40 nights. And uh, the great deep, the Bible says, burst forth. And uh, you can try to ignore that, but the truth is God intervened. And by the way... Uh, I'm just going to go back there a second. Genesis chapter 7, it's pretty interesting because when we talk about, you know, the future, there's a lot of debate among really serious-minded Christians uh, about how to interpret various passages of Scripture. 
And uh, it becomes, you know, contentious sometimes. And I don't know how many people I've talked to, they say, well, you know, I don't know whether it's pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation. I just think it's all going to pan out, you know, and I'm just not going to worry about it or think about it. And it's too bad because uh, basically you go through life without what God wants us to have. And so in in Genesis chapter 7, Moses writes this. He says, you know, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days, 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, and Noah's wife and his three sons' wives entered the ark with him. On the very same day, Now, Jesus says in the New Testament, right, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And what I'm saying here is that the very same day that God rescued Noah, like the church is going to be raptured from God's wrath, on the very same day that God rescued Noah, it started to rain and the world was judged on the very same day. And the Bible goes out of its way to say it was in this year and in this month and on this day and so forth, the very same day, as it was in the days of Noah. Now, I'm just throwing this out here for you to think, and I don't want to argue with anybody, but could it be that the rapture and the day of the Lord, which represents the judgment of God, Jesus coming back, happened on the same day? I always ask the question, you know, how many comings of Jesus are in front of us? Is he coming twice? Once for us and then once again after? Or is there one coming, one second coming? And could it be that it happens just like in the days of Noah, that we would be rescued and uh, the judgment of God, the day of the Lord, would begin on the same day? It's almost like God built into the world the means of its own destruction. And so um, the very same day, Uh, Noah went into the ark, it started to rain, and so forth. Now, scoffers deliberately ignore the flood. Nothing was the same after the flood, and there's, you know, all kinds of scientific evidence and so on. But Peter's point here in this passage of Scripture is there's another intervention of God that's in front of us. God is coming again, and he's going to intervene in the affairs of the universe, and Jesus is going to come, And um, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth by the same word of God that the universe was created and that uh, the flood was ordered by God and uh, revealed ahead of time through Noah. 120 years he preached, nobody listened, and the judgment of God came and fell. So God promised, right, never to destroy the world again uh, with a flood. We have the rainbow and we have the account in Genesis. But, Peter says, this time the world is going to be destroyed by fire. And uh, when we think about this, um, again, uh, if you think about how it was in the days of Noah, we read over and over again in the Bible, okay, that the stars in the heavens are going to fall. The sun is going to go dark. The moon turns blood red. The stars fall onto the earth. And, um, you know... um, We think about this, the heavens are filled with stars, and uh, we're told over and over, both Old Testament and New Testament, about the sign that will be right before the Lord comes back are these uh, cosmic 
disturbances, this grandiose irregularity in the sky. Uh, the sun will be darkened, the stars will fall, the heavens will be shaken. Jesus says it in Matthew uh, chapter 24 um, and in Revelation, uh, in Revelation chapter 6. I think we have kind of the video version, uh, kind of the last time it's talked about, but this is like, this is what it's going to be like. And uh, let me just read it for you in Revelation chapter 6. When Jesus opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon uh, became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up and every mountain and every island was moved from its place And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling the mountains and the rocks fall on us uh, for uh, the face of him who is seated on the throne, the king of kings, and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come, who can stand? I love that question because we can stand on that day. We will never taste the wrath of God. The Bible never tells us we'll be delivered from the wrath of Satan. And uh, I don't want to, you know, get too far off, but the last seven years, Jesus says, are divided into two equal halves, right? You have this uh, abomination of desolation that happens in the temple and so on. Uh, But the second half is the great tribulation. That's the wrath of God. The first half, it seems to me, is the wrath of Satan. And I'm so sure that all of us are uh, delivered from the wrath of Satan. But... Um, <clears throat> now don't forget this right you got all these stars that are falling to the earth okay in addition to that just like it was in the days of Noah we're told by scientists that inside our earth um, uh, there's a lake of fire that's 12,400 degrees Fahrenheit and every once in a while you know a valve opens up and this molten rock that's bright red just flows down the side of a mountain into the sea or something and and we believe wow the inside of our earth really is hot and uh i'm told that on average there's a crust you know over the whole earth that on average is about 10 miles deep and then after that it starts getting hotter and hotter as we get to the center well suppose what peter is saying and again i'm I'm not you know like a, a champion of this or anything but As it was in the days of Noah, the destruction came from under the ground and the destruction came from the skies. Suppose God has already built into our earth, okay, everything he needs for what Peter says is um, actually going to happen. And uh, I guess I should read that verse, right? And he says, by the same word, verse 7, by the same word, the word that created the world, the word that brought the flood, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Could it be that you know the, the means for this to happen has already been built in? Uh, to the universe. And in addition to that, and I'm not a a scientist, but in addition to that, uh, everything is made out of atoms, right? And so the whole 
uh, created world is like uh, atomic energy. And once that goes, you know, it just blows. And everything would be destroyed. So it's very interesting uh, to just speculate a little bit and think about this. Um, the fire may come from underneath. The uh, planets come down. Another interesting thing, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, I think it's in the 14th verse, you know, the question is kind of posed or asked, uh, why did God create all these planets? And I've been asked that question many times, you know, like, you know, why didn't he just create the earth and our little atmosphere and be happy? Why did he create all these planets? Well, the first reason, it seems to me, is the heavens declare the glory of God. I mean, he's awesome. He's way bigger than any of us can ever even imagine. And every time we look out a little further into space and find more galaxies and everything, the, the glory of God is on display, right? But in Genesis, it says that the lights, like the sun and the stars and, and so forth, are given to be signs. Signs. So, you know, think of Christmas when the star led the wise men to Jesus, right? And think about us, you know, when Jesus comes back, these uh, planets and stars and so there'll be signs in the heavens that will let us know. And, you know, Jesus in Matthew 24, he says, look, don't follow after people who say, hey, I'm Jesus, you know. Don't worry about it. You'll know when Jesus is coming. The sky will roll back. The, you know, the planets will fall, and uh, you will know about it. I like the way that um, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, in writing about Jesus in Colossians, it's a great description of Jesus. But uh, in the middle of this, just a couple of verses uh, talking about the preeminence of Jesus, uh, Paul says this, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and here's the line, and in him all things hold together. What does that mean? I think it means Jesus gives the word and everything blows apart. <laughs> all that atomic energy is released. And everything disintegrates into nothing. And Peter says, this current world, by the same word that brought the universe into existence and that brought the flood about, by that same word, uh, our world is being uh, held you know, for uh, a destruction by fire. And uh, then he goes on. And uh, another thing um, Peter says is that, you know, this will, you know this phrase, right? Peter, Peter says, uh, oh boy. Peter says, uh, this will come about like a thief in the night. You remember that? And Peter says that here. But um, this, uh, this isn't for Christians. This is for the world. It will come like a thief in the night for the world. But Christians are supposed to understand and know that uh, this is, you know. Here's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. He says, uh, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, uh, you have no need of us to write to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I'm in First Thessalonians chapter 5. The day of the Lord, judgment of God. By the way, the whole book of Joel in the Old Testament is about the day of the Lord. You can read it and see, this is not a good day. This is a day of judgment. It's a terrible day. Uh, the whole book of Joel in the Old Testament talks about the day of the Lord. Um, while people are saying there's peace and security, it'll be just like it was in the days of Noah, peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, here's the verse. But you are not in the dark, 
like the rest of the world. There's a tremendous advantage in being a Christian and knowing what's coming in the future. You, he says, are not in the dark, brothers, for that day, um, for that day to surprise you like a thief in the night. For you're all children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness, so then, let us not sleep like others do, and so on and so forth. You know, I saw a movie when I was a kid, right, in youth group about uh, a thief in the night, and it's about the rapture coming early, and, you know, everybody, airplane pilot, he's a Christian, he goes, plane crashes, you know, and I'm like, wow, does that sound like what the thing God would do, you know, kind of thing. And um, I remember that it'll come like a thief in the night, and then I read this passage of scripture, I don't know how long ago, and I thought, wait a minute, it's going to be like a thief in the night for the world, but Christians, and I don't have time, but we could go on, and Peter says, listen, live with a sense of anticipation. When Jesus comes back, all the promises of God are going to be yes. Everything that was predicted in future is going to become history, you know, and we're going to love it, and it's going to be our day. And then he says, listen, grow in the knowledge and the grace of our God so that this stuff becomes real to you, right? Be sure of your future and uh, stake your life on it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad you're the only one who really knows what's going to happen in the future and that you have chosen to reveal it to anybody who will listen, that you've put it in your word up to a quarter, up to a third maybe of your word was uh, prophetic when it was written. And so help us, Father, to be people who are prepared for the future. Not afraid, not fear, but anticipating, looking forward to. In fact, Peter even says, hastening the day. Because you told us that, uh, you know, you're not coming back until everybody hears the truth. And so this great day of judgment that's coming, but the gospel that makes a way for us to be reconciled to you. The world needs to know. Help us to be people who hasten the day by sharing with as many people who will listen the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen.